0: really stop to consider the message we proclaim the things that are at the center and serve as the bedrock of our faith that we that we claim as God and we worship a man who was crucified as an enemy of the state and we believe that this particular man who died 2000 years ago was in fact God in the flesh and when you really think about it, it kind of sounds almost crazy. In fact, Christians have been repeatedly accused of being just that down through history from the days of Justin Martyr all the way till now. But here's the thing. It's completely, totally, unalterably true. And you know what else is true? The fact that somehow, despite All of Jesus' example and teaching about suffering, a lot of Christians nonetheless believe that when they trust in Christ that they have bought the equivalent of a heavenly lottery ticket, which is going to exempt them from all kinds of difficulties and pain and suffering and and disease and death and nothing bad is going to happen to me now because now I'm a Christian. And I want to assure you that that is crazy. (laughs) Okay? Because if someone told you that, they lied to you. Nothing in your Bible even remotely approaches anything like that. In fact, All of the testimony of both Jesus himself and the New Testament runs completely counter to that. Suffering is normal. Uh, It is normal to endure difficulties and tests and suffering and circumstances that really do cause you to wonder, is God still there? Does he still love me? Yet that is precisely what the Christian life is. It's a series of tests. It's a series of challenges. It's a series of struggles in which God is asking you a very specific question. Will you trust me even in this, even through this? Are you going to still trust me? Are you going to still worship me? Are you going to still pursue your relationship with me even in spite of your circumstances. And when you really think about the person who is at the center and who serves as the foundation and bedrock of our faith, you realize that our life can't be any different than his was. He is the one who taught, after all, that a servant is like his master and a student is like his teacher. And Jesus suffered, was tortured, was uh, tormented, and then crucified and killed. And so when he promised us, you're going to be like me, we should naturally have the expectation that we're going to face opposition and mocking and abuse and hatred, maybe even death as a follower of him. And so this morning we want to look together at what Jesus uh experience, and we're going to look at him as, I'm going to throw a little Latin at you, this is the last time I'm going to do that in this series, at Jesus as Christus Exemplar, as Jesus Christ our our, our, our Example, the one who laid down the pattern that we could follow for how you deal with unjust suffering. Because a lot of times as you go through life, one of the fundamental truths that you realize, right, is that life ain't fair, right? In fact, if you're a good parent, you will teach that to your kids from the time they are very little and hopefully have it sink in by the time they leave your house. Life is not fair. And you will wear yourself out trying to make it so. And we're not even going to attempt in our house to make it fair because it just isn't going to come out in your favor. Sorry. It's just the way life is. You might as well get used to it. And because life is not fair, and the reason that it's not fair is that this is a sinful world populated by sinful people who respond to each other in sinful ways, making life fundamentally unfair. Jesus understands exactly what it's like to go through life and suffer unjustly at the hands of other people. And so we want to we want to look at Christ on the cross, and we want to see His example. And so, if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to First Peter. It's toward the very end of your Bible. You've got two books from Peter, and then you've got three books from John, and then Jude and Revelation. Okay, so uh, you want to look at First Peter, uh, chapter two, and verses twenty-one to twenty-five, and this is what. This is what Peter says. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were once straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now, these verses uh, that I'm reading to you... Um, are really in the middle of a larger section where Peter is talking about how people ought to behave and how they ought to respond to their circumstances as Christians. And because, uh, and, and, and that's important because the Christian life is not simply adherence to and, and convictions about a certain set of beliefs. Amen? It also is a life of living out the truths that we believe. And those beliefs and those convictions that we hold to are important because they are meant to change our life and to give us the life abundant that Jesus promised to us. But that abundant life does not include the absence of suffering and difficulty. And in fact, this particular section is written specifically to slaves. And it had very wide application in Peter's day because most of the early church were slaves along with over half of the Roman Empire were slaves. So this is a very live issue and if you think about slavery what you think of what you realize if you think about it very long is that the is that the very nature of it is fundamentally unjust. Every day you wake up and someone owns you. I mean think about that owns you as a piece of property that they can choose to feed or not feed, to clothe or not clothe, to beat and abuse or not. You're like a dog, not like a human being. It's a fundamentally unjust institution on the face of it. And every day of your life is an, is an instance of, of unjust suffering. And so Peter is writing to a group of people who understand what it's like that life is not fair and that that life is full of basic injustice at the very heart of it. And he's writing, how should you live as a Christian when you're confronted with injustice and suffering in your day-to-day life? And you know what? This also, this passage, even though none of us here are slaves, I hope, um, if you're being trafficked, let me know. We will get you out of there. (laughs) Okay? Um, But I hope none of us are slaves. Uh, But we live, and we live in a better society than most societies that have ever been. But here's the thing. We all confront injustices, both big, like slavery, and small, every day. If you've ever held a job you're going to deal with injustice. If you've ever been a citizen of a nation ruled by a government of men, you're going to encounter injustice. If you've ever been a child, now I am a perfect parent, amen, but... uh, but the rest of you, you know, you might struggle in these areas, right? My children have just and holy parents. Um, no, not really. Okay, I mess up too. And if you're a kid, you're going to have to learn to deal with injustice from your parents. If you're a spouse, is your spouse always going to respond to you in grace and truth? Not always. Are they going to treat you always as you deserve? Well now again, my wife is perfect. y'all may struggle. <laughs> uh, no, to be married is to encounter injustice, right? Because you're to be you're sharing a house with a fellow sinner. And so this, this passage has broad application for us too. We don't always treat one another how we ought. And while life, we like to think of life as primarily consisting of good experiences, if you live long enough, what you find is life isn't really like that. And you need to remember that life is fundamentally unfair. And so Peter gives us some divinely inspired instruction here on what to do in the midst of it. And the first thing I think that is key... It's right there at the beginning of verse twenty-one, and that's to recognize that this is part of your calling as a Christian. He starts off with he starts off the passage with "To this you were called." Well, what's the this? Suffering. To this you were called. It's part of the package. It's one of the things that you sign up for, whether you know it or not. When you sign up to be a Christian, you are signing up for suffering. When you place your trust in Christ, uh, Peter says that that one way that you might describe that is being called by God out of darkness into his marvelous light. And you may not have known it when you responded to that call and decided to follow Christ, But it's true, salvation through Christ includes suffering for Christ. And just as Jesus died on the cross to purchase your salvation, so we who follow him should expect, expect to suffer also. A servant is like his master, and a student is teacher. And Peter says later in the book, this is one of my favorite books in the whole Bible, 1 Peter. Peter says later in the book, do not be surprised at the fiery trial you are now undergoing as though something strange were happening to you. This is part of the deal to be a Christian and to try to pursue your relationship with Christ is to sign up as part of the package for suffering and for dealing with injustice. And, and if Jesus suffered, so are we. We're going, It's going to happen. And his suffering provides us, according to Peter, with an example of how to endure suffering well. And so we want to look here further in these verses. Uh, Peter points out, first of all, in verse 22, that Jesus' suffering truly was unjust. He hadn't done anything to deserve it. There was nothing of which he was guilty in any way that would excuse or mitigate the decision of his judges and torturers to put him to death. He hadn't con- he hadn't committed the first sin. He had never lied about anything. He was completely innocent of any wrongdoing. You know, when I get in an argument with my spouse, you know, one of the things I want to do is be defensive and say, "Well, you know, if you hold my actions here up in a certain light and then right at the correct angle, you'll see that I am exonerated." Right now, no one else does that, um, and and that's kind of our natural tendency is to is to go through all the mitigating circumstances that make what you are how you are treating me now in response to that unjust, right? But Peter is saying, no, no, Jesus' suffering is really unjust because he had never sinned. And when he spoke, he spoke completely the truth. There was nothing you could hold on him, and yet he was put to death. And the obvious point here is this, is that is that what it was true of Jesus should also be true of us. There shouldn't be one single thing that anybody can pin on us. If we're, If we're going to suffer, it shouldn't be because you are getting what you deserve. It shouldn't be the consequences of your sin that cause your suffering. It shouldn't be because you're deceitful and you got caught... And now you're getting hammered. Peter says he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. If we're going to walk like Jesus and truly have him as our Christus exemplar. Then we need to also be innocent of any wrongdoing. Amen? And in addition to that, look at how Jesus responds in the midst of being tormented here. Verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. You, don't know, you want to know what my immediate reaction is when somebody starts berating and mocking and tearing me down and abusing me? My immediate reaction is to dish it right back, twice as hard and at twice the volume, right? You can't talk to me that way you right in the nose, you know, Uh, right? You get your back up, you get the adrenaline pumping, and you're ready to go to Fist City right now, right? I can't believe you're treating me this way. I'll show you the wrath of God right now. (laughs) You're about to experience it, right? That's our immediate reaction. What's Jesus do instead? When they, Remember remember how the Gospels describe what happened to him? It says they pulled out his beard. They spit on him. They crowned him with thorns. They dressed him in a purple robe like royalty and gave him a bamboo stick and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And then they took his stick that they gave him for a scepter and beat him with it. And hit him in the face and said, Prophesy who hit you. And during all of this, Jesus is completely silent. He doesn't come back with the snappy put down, he doesn't come out with the unprintable vocabulary. He doesn't. When he is abused, he doesn't threaten. In fact, remember what he tells Peter when Peter comes out with his sword, you know, and he's going to be the big hero. Ha! You know, he chops off the servant's ear because he missed his he missed the melon splitter hit, you know, headshot he was trying to get, and just chopped the ear off. Uh, and he says to Peter. Put it away. I can call 12 legions of angels. And by the way, how's Peter know all this? He was there. He says, I watched him. Have Christ as your example. He says, Put it away. I can call 12 legions of angels. And a legion is 6,000. 12 legions, 72,000. One angel put 185,000 Assyrian troops to death in one night. Read your Old Testament. It's a great story. (laughs) Okay? Uh, So 12 legions of angels, they can flat handle whatever you want to dish out. And he does not say that. He says that to Peter because he's saying, look, I can handle this. I have plenty of power and authority to take care of these, this little mob of guys with sticks and torches if I want to. But you know what he never does? He never says that to the people who are tormenting and killing him. He doesn't say, wait until I get down off this cross. Boy, when I get resurrected, I'm coming after you. Instead, he cries out from the cross, remember, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. He doesn't threaten. He doesn't lash out, even though the circumstances, if any circumstances would ever justify anybody lashing out, these would. Peter says he didn't, revile. He didn't threaten. What did he do instead? He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In other words, Jesus knew not only that he was suffering according to God's purpose and plan, he also knew that there is a great and final judge and that he is trustworthy and that he will demand an accounting. And even though Jesus has every right and every reason to seek justice for himself, he didn't demand it. He trusted God to bring justice at the proper time. And Jesus knew that he was going to be vindicated by that judge when the day of judgment came, but he also knew that those who were tormenting him would receive their just judgment from God on that day. And again, I think there's a pretty obvious lesson for us here, isn't there? You know, when somebody mocks and abuses and picks on and torments us, and we respond in kind, we do not feel wrong, do we? We feel holy. We feel like as if the entire balance of justice and righteousness in the entire cosmic universe hangs on this moment. And if I don't get my justice right now, it's never going to come. And so our spouse tears into us, and we come right back at him. Pow! Right? We're going to maybe not hit with our fist, but with our word, we're going to cut as deep as we know how. Or our boss treats us unfairly, and we think, yeah, your day's coming, son. I may not get you open warfare, but I'll get you special ops one way or the other, <laughs> right? Right? And you don't feel evil when you do that. You feel good. You feel righteous. Right? You feel holy. Now, no no one who's ever worked for me has ever wanted to do that, by the way. (laughs) Right? Um, And yet, what does Jesus call us to? He says, Leave. You know, this is what the scripture says. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Leave room for God's wrath. Peter here. Entrust yourself to him who judges justly. Because I always think that my actions are, you know, getting us back to flush here, right? We're just getting back to square because I'm treating you like you're treating me, right? Right? Peter says, Jesus entrusted himself to the one just judge, to God the Father, who may not settle accounts every month, but who does settle accounts one day, and who makes sure that the scales of justice are balanced. (laughs) There's more here. Look at verse 24 and 25. Let's read them again here. Look at this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but you have now but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls and i think there are 3 major reasons why these verses are here Number one, Peter wants us to remember that these words of instruction that he's writing to us are not optional. They aren't simply what Peter thinks are a good idea if you happen to be looking for some good advice on how to go through suffering. You know, chicken soup for the soul or something, you know. Uh, that's not what that's, he says. He's not saying, look, just, you know, this would be a good idea. This would be kind of wise, somewhat, you know, if you want to kind of, sort of consider this as an option. This is all right. No. What he's saying is, look, this command that I'm giving you is based on Jesus, who in his death not only suffered unjustly, just like we do, but did so for you and for me, and that his suffering purchased us. Remember that? And so Jesus, because... His unjust suffering bought our redemption. He has then the right to tell us how to conduct ourselves in circumstances where we suffer unjustly. Amen? And he can point us to him as the pattern to follow. And the second major reason I think Peter gives us these these two lines here at the end of the chapter is this. It's to remind us of the purpose of the Christian life. And the purpose of the Christian life, Peter summarizes this way, that Jesus died for your sins and for mine, so that we could die to sin and live to righteousness. Uh, note the contrast here. Jesus dies for your sin so that you can die to your sin, and live for righteousness. Christ's unjust suffering and death brought you into relationship with God like a wandering sheep back into the sheepfold. And part of the reason and part of the purpose that God had for us in suffering is simply this, is to make us righteous people. You know, here's the thing. If we're really honest, I think if you roll up all the pleasures that we experience in life, you know, like maybe you go down to Johnny's Italian Steakhouse, and you get the filet, and you get it medium, and you have the asparagus and the lump crab meat and the bearnaise sauce on top, you need to do this at least once in your life. (laughs) Okay? There is pleasure to be had in eating that thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Anybody hungry yet? All right. There's pleasure to be had in that. Or of seeing your child born. I got to see all four of mine emerge from the womb and cut the umbilical cord and hold that baby in my arms and see their little faces for the first time right up against my skin. And I cried, and he cried, or she cried, and it was great. And I watched my wife walk down the aisle in this poofy, white, princess-looking silk dress. And we made our vows before God, and then I held her in my hands and kissed her And we ran down that aisle, and when we got to the end, I spun her around in a circle, and all that dress just went sailing around. And it was fantastic. And then we went on our honeymoon, and it was fantastic. And we have lived 16 years together as husband and wife, and it is fantastic. And I have water-skied on one ski, jumping over the wakes, behind a speedboat, lean way out, rooster tail shooting out behind me. And it's a rush. And it's fantastic. Right? But you add up all of the pleasures of life. And you know what the reality is? None of them are transformative. Transformative in the way that suffering is. None of them. In fact, if you go through life experiencing nothing but pleasure, you will wind up, as I heard one pastor say, like those pink packets on the table, sweet and low. You will not be a holy, righteous, Christ-like person. Why? Why? Because you know what I found out about marriage? It's not the kiss that makes a marriage, it's the fights and what you do after that. It's not the birth of the child that is significant. It's the raising of the child to know God and to walk with him. And there is there suffering in that? Yes, there is. Is there suffering in your marriage? Yes, there is. God has mixed in suffering as part of our experience. Why? Because He cares very little about our our comfort and a great deal about our character. And He wants us to be transformed. And he allows us to go through all kinds of suffering, both just stuff we deserve. You earned that, sucker. And stuff that we didn't. Because he wants us to walk like Jesus. And he wants us to look like Jesus. And to talk like Jesus. And to (laughs) interact with other people like Jesus. And you know the only way to get there? By suffering... Like Jesus. And so Peter says, look, to this you were called. And remember Jesus? He suffered. He got crucified naked. His beard ripped out. Crowned with thorns. Nails pounded into his hands and feet. Mocked, spit on, with a toilet brush stuffed into his mouth. That vinegar-soaked rag, that's what that is. And he did it, at least partly, to leave us an example to follow when we go through unjust suffering. Because Jesus wants us transformed into from wandering sheep into faithful sheep who stay in the sheepfold and who act like the Lamb of God who was sacrificed on our behalf. And finally, I think Peter reminds us this, that God does have a plan. He points out Jesus and what happened at the cross to remind us that God does have a plan and a purpose if you were there on that Good Friday afternoon for those six hours, while a, a while a crucified man bled out and suffocated and cried out to God, you would not have thought. Well, God obviously has a plan in this. Clearly, God's will is being done here. No, you would have thought if you were a friend of this man, what a horrible. Horrible tragedy. I can't believe that God is allowing this to happen. And you know what was happening? God's plan and God's purpose to redeem the entire planet. Not just the people, but to set all of creation back to right. is being accomplished in six hours on one Friday afternoon. About this time of year. And we're to remember as we go through all the stuff that we go through, and we go through some stuff, don't we? I mean, sickness, disease, nasty bosses, sometimes nasty spouses, children that abuse us and mistreat us and do not obey, right? Um, you know, we go through car accidents and pain. And difficulty. If you're a Christian in a Muslim country, guess what? You might even go to prison. You might get tortured. You might get crucified. But God has got his plan and his purpose that he is enacting, just like he did in Jesus' suffering and torment and death. God has his plan and his purpose. And you may not see it. It may be Friday afternoon and you can't figure out what is happening to you. God is still at work. And he is still working his plan and bringing good out of even the greatest evil. Amen? A couple things here and we'll wrap up. I've yelled at you long enough. Number one, and I and I I wanna I do this often. You may Peter talks about how you were like sheep who were wandering off because the people to whom he is writing that is accurate. It's the past tense for them. But it may not be the past tense for you. In other words, you may still be wandering off away from God and, want nothing, and wanting nothing to do with him. Even though you are here at church, even though you are listening to me talk about God's word and try to share some great truth from it with you, you may be still an entire universe removed from a relationship with God. And if that is true of you, can I plead with you to stop running away? To recognize instead what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross that he has died to take your place to offer you forgiveness for your sin that the penalty of your sin might be removed from you and to invite you to place your trust in Jesus Christ who was crucified for your sin and was raised from the dead to give you new life that you might return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul, that you might live a righteous life full of hope and purpose. Even as you suffer, even as you go through the worst of life, there's a plan and a purpose and a God who loves you, who is walking with you, carrying you through it. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, do so now, today is the day of salvation. Number two, when you suffer, suffer like Jesus. Don't return abuse for abuse. Don't suffer because you deserve it. Don't threaten. Instead, trust God. Trust God, knowing that He is a just judge, knowing that by His grace, He has already secured for you a home in His presence. And so there's nothing that anyone on this earth can do to you which compares with the glory that's going to be revealed in you and for you. And so you can endure anything because the worst thing someone can do to you is what they did to Jesus, torture you, abuse you, and kill you in a humiliating way. And guess what? You know what happened with Jesus? Jesus. A couple days later, he's getting out of the grave. You know what happens to you? Tortured, abused, imprisoned, killed. D.L. Moody said it this way. Sometime in the future, you're going to read that D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, is dead. Don't you believe it? I'll be more alive then than I have ever been. Okay, The worst that can possibly happen to you is what happened to Jesus and He was raised from the dead. And you know what? As you trust in Him, so will you be. What can anybody do that compares with that? Wait patiently for God's justice because God may wait, but He's never late. His justice is coming. And will be there for you. Maybe not in this life. Because God doesn't always settle accounts when we want. But here's the promise out of the scriptures. Justice will roll down like water. And righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. You don't have to try to make everything square today. God's justice is coming. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, who in addition to being our Savior, in addition to being the one who satisfied your wrath, in addition to being the one who bought us out of slavery, in addition to being the one who carried our sin away from us, never to be associated with us again, who in addition to saving the nations over the entire planet, that people of every tribe and nation and tongue and language would know you and worship you with us. Father, in addition to all these things, Jesus Christ is our example. He is our Christus exemplar who perfectly lived the way that you want us to live and who died perfectly in the way that you want us to die and who suffered unjustly the way you want us to go through unjust suffering. Father, I pray that we would walk in the way that Jesus Christ walked, that we might develop the character that Jesus Christ possesses. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.